Today we come uh, to actually to week five. We, have, we missed a week because of the flood. Uh, but we come to week five on these series of messages called Sundays Can. Uh, and I think what, what we need to underscore on this last Sunday as we deal with this is that what we've looked at and tried to really uh, learn and, and to grasp and maybe to reaffirm in our life once again is uh, that we're really focusing on the pace of our lives and the priority of our lives so that they can be set by our Sundays and not by the outside world. See, we, we hopefully have been reminded, or maybe we've learned, uh, maybe for the first time as we've gone through these, uh, through these messages and, and what God says to us in, in, in his word is that we're all designed in the way that we need a day of rest, a day to refuel, a day to refocus as being the people of God. Uh, today, we focus on the power and ability of the church to change the world. And so we talk about the fact that Sundays can change the world. You know, as Mary Joy was talking about this and holding this uh, little stress reliever uh, globe, uh, it's also a reminder to us that not only the God that we worship and serve uh, knows all things and has everything under control, but the old song says he's got the whole world in his hands. And so um, your gift today, we've given you different things each Sunday to hopefully to help you remember what we've talked about and then to celebrate, is we got, we got one of these, I think, for everybody. That's a little stress reliever globe. And anytime you get to feeling stressed out or thinking about, boy, what, what, what's going on in this world? Look at all these terrible changes that have happened. Remember, God's in control. He's sovereign. He's got the whole world in his hands. So um, I don't want to keep up with this all doing third so I'll see if somebody else can do that, okay? Now, before we look at that challenge to be, uh, let's call ourselves Sunday people because that's what we are. We worship on Sunday because God raised Jesus from the dead on Sunday, the third day. But uh, let's look at the challenge of being Sunday people. And let's do it by looking at this video that tells us what the church has already done to bring about great positive, lasting change in the world. We've got a quick video. What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever. And continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. 
It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Although the facts in that video tell us greatly in a very short time uh, time frame what, what the church has done through the years. Uh, I mean, it is the most powerful organization uh, in, in the world, in my opinion. I mean, you look at uh, hospitals, orphanages, all those things that are done. I don't think you could ever find a hospital anywhere that an atheist has built. But most of them are all built by Christians. They got Baptist hospitals, Methodist hospitals, all of those kinds of things. Orphanage started by that to take care of children, children's homes we call them now. You know, and, and then last week we read a great passage of scripture out of Matthew where Jesus talked about establishing his church in Matthew 16, 18. And he said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, that's a reminder to us that, that this church is going to exist and it's going to live. And that's just, this is who's talking about the church worldwide. And it's going to have influence. Uh, and it was strong for them to, to think about that in the very beginning. And you have to wonder about how in the world could he forecast that when he looked at what he had to work with. And especially when he made these promises that, that his message would be preached to every nation in the world. And that the gates of hell would not prevail against that organization. And he had just a dozen of what were young, uneducated men. A few of them who had some passion. But you fast forward to 2,000 years later. And as they've emphasized in the video... The Church of Jesus Christ is the largest organization on earth. More than 2 billion churchgoers gather every Sunday, our own weekends, a lot of them go to Saturday worship times, on every country of the planet. And they do so from meeting in grand cathedrals, to classrooms, to apartments, to assembly halls, some under trees, some in caves, some in thatched roof huts. But Christians meet to worship God. And I think the story of the church is the greatest success story that the world will ever know. And the exciting thing for me and for you should be the fact that we are part of that. And we can be a part of the fact that the church has a future to to change and continue to influence this world for the better, for Jesus Christ. But we look at our world today. And so many times we say, in frustration, and I, I catch myself doing that as well. I've had conversations with many of you about that. So, you know, I'm just greatly disappointed. I'm discouraged about where we are in our culture and our society. You know, and, and, and we can get that way. But look back at when the church was established. And you see that it was, it was established in the midst of multicultural people. In the midst of paganism where lives were sacrificed. The world was a messed up place when Jesus came. And look at the difference that's been made that started with, with 12 men and then 120 gathering. 
And then the power of Pentecost came, and Peter preached the great sermon, and thousands came to believe, and thousands came to be a part of the church. And they were just so excited about their relationship with God through faith in Christ that they literally changed the world. And those who saw them coming said they had turned the world upside down. And history confirms that the church of Jesus Christ has affected more positive change in this world than any other group of people. So Sunday people have made a difference through all of history. And we will continue to do that because the story has not yet come to a conclusion. The work is not yet complete. And it never will be until Jesus returns and gathers the church. And so we as Sunday people are still God's people for changing the world. And I want us to look at that and what Jesus says to us in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks to us about being salt and light. And we find that in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, this is really, I think, a way in which Jesus lets us in to how he ministered and the secret of his life. When he came and invaded earth in the form of a human body and came as God in the flesh known as God the Son... He didn't stay isolated in a synagogue, a place of worship, but he was outside those walls and he was outside with people that nobody else wanted to deal with. And he was influencing them for the kingdom of God. You know, he walked into the lives of sinners. He touched lepers. He associated with prostitutes. He dined with heathens and he scandalized the religious community by penetrating the world with this amazing message that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you and that he sent me to redeem you and to save you from your sins. So as we gather today and we look at this fifth message about the fact that Sundays can change the world, we really mean that it's Sunday people, people of the church like you and me and everybody else here, so that we can make that positive influence that he calls the church to be. So we're called here on Sundays particularly to worship God, to study together, to be edified in the word, to be challenged. And then as we go out, we go to our mission field. Wherever we go in this week, that's where God takes us. Now, how do we bring about this change and continue to do these great things for the kingdom of God, preaching about the kingdom of God? Touching lives with the message of Christ, penetrating lives as salt and light as Jesus calls us to be. But I think there are two great implications for us. The first one is this, that we have to develop a biblical mandate. And the biblical mandate is to develop a kingdom perspective. If you look at the, the context of this message that Christ gave, and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, verses, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, And portions of it are in the Gospel of Luke. 
you'll find that it's a challenge to a radical lifestyle as followers of Christ to go against the culture of that day. In fact, you might want to describe yourselves as having to swim upstream against the current of the prevailing culture today. Because if you would sit down this week and read through the Sermon on the Mount, I think you would have to find that the life that Jesus calls us to live as kingdom people is vastly different from the life that we see lived out in our culture. So what is he really challenging about us about then to develop a kingdom perspective? Well, he calls us salt and light, and that we're to do what he did. That we're to penetrate our culture with salt and all that it does. It brings out the flavor. It's a preserver. Uh, it's also a purifier. And we're to be a light. We're to bring light and hope and brightness into this world. And Jesus is saying to us, you're either doing that and doing it well, or you're not doing it. And he says, when the salt loses its savor, it's thrown out. It's worthless except to be put on, on the road and be trodden on it. So we're we're to be the salt of the earth, making a difference, and we're to be the light of the world, shining for Christ. And the second, I think, kingdom perspective that Jesus gives us is that we have to pay close attention to this, is that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. And that's kind of difficult for us in America and in our culture, pampered society today. That we're always told, it's about you. Buy what you want. Live the way you want to. Spend it on fun. You know, all, all of those things challenge us today to live the lifestyle of Christ where we know it's not about us, but it's all about God. We think the world revolves around us. But it doesn't. And Jesus made that clear in this, work, in the, in this message that he gave to us. That we're to be salt and we're to be light so that what? God will see our good works and say, boy, you're a great person. No. So that people will see our, our good works that we do and say, ah, that's just, that's, it must be Spring Valley Baptist Church. It must be pretty good. Or they would say, boy, you know, you, you, you really stand out. Well, some of those things are partially true. But what Jesus said is what? That people would see our good works and what? Glorify God the Father. If you've been to the state fair, I've gone twice. I went Thursday. Several of the whole staff went to see uh, and and be there to support our Valley Voices, Senior Duck Choir Sing. Had time to walk around, get something to eat, of course. And then went back Friday with the family. You know, there are a lot of different treats you can get at the fair. I saw corn on the cob. Now, it might have been there in the last couple of years. I don't know. But this is the first time I really thought about it. And I thought, you know what? An ear of corn would go great right now. And I looked at the stand where I found them, and they were four bucks. And I said, nah, you know, four bucks for one piece of corn on the cob is a little high. And I said, it'd probably just be one of these little pieces like this. You know, now... If you like to eat corn on the cob the way I do, and I think it's the only good way to do it. It might be unhealthy, but it's the good way to do it. You've got to put butter on it, right? And then you've got to put what on it? Salt. Now, when you get through eating a nice fresh piece of corn on the cob with plenty of butter and plenty of salt on it, what do you say? Boy, that was great salt, huh? <laughs> now, we say, man, that was a great ear of corn. I would grate corn on the cob. 
Well, I did not buy the corn on the cob at the fair. I did see a lady later on, and it was a nice long ear of corn like that. And I'll tell you, I was tempted again. But then I said, four bucks, that's a lot for an ear of corn. But I think there's that analogy where we are to be salt and light. That it's not that we are to be salt so that people think about us, but we're to be salt penetrating, purifying, cleansing, and penetrating the culture to the glory of God. Now, within that itself, I think there are two responsibilities, two implications we have. First is, we have a responsibility for our world. If we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth, we have a responsibility for this world. We know that the culture in which we live is rapidly changing, and we, we see that every day. This year we celebrate, next month will be, in fact, November 22nd, our 35th year of being Spring Valley Baptist Church and our ministry in Northeast Columbia. So I got to thinking, okay, 35 years of ministry here in Northeast Columbia, what will this world look like? in 35 years to come, which will be the year 2050. Okay, what will it look like? And I pulled this from a lot of different places, from a CNN report and from Pew Research Center. And basically, here's what it tells us, that America will be less Christian, socially diverse, and religiously ambivalent in 35 years from now. Let me just point out a few facts. In America, we will have twice the number of people who are 65 years of age and older. We will have triple the number of people who are 85 years of age and older. And interesting socioeconomic dynamic is that minorities will comprise 54% of the population. And I wonder if they're going to change that name. Not, not minorities if they comprise 54%. Minority children of the day will become the majority by 2023 and by 2050 will comprise 62% of the nation's children. And in 2050, of the 439 million projected Americans, just over 235 million are expected to be minority. So that tells us that our culture is going to change greatly in a social way and a socioeconomic way. Now what about worldwide? And religious-wise. Well, over the next four decades, Christians will remain the largest religious group, but Islam will grow faster than any other major religion. And if current trends continue to the year 2050, here are some facts. The number of Muslims will nearly equal the number of Christians around the world. Atheists, agnostics, and other people who do not affiliate with any religion though they are increasing in countries like the United States and France, will make up a declining share of the world's total population. In Europe, Muslims will make up 10% of the overall population. India will retain a Hindu majority, but listen to this. It will also have the largest Muslim population of, the, of any country in the world. In the United States... Year 2050, Christians will decline from more than three-quarters of the population to two-thirds of the population. Muslims will be more numerous in the United States than people who identify themselves today as Jewish. And four, listen to four out of every ten Christians in the world will live in South Africa, in southern Sahara, sub-Saharan Africa. 
Now, that's just a snapshot of the world to come in 35 years. And basically, it will be the world that our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren will live in and hopefully will minister to the glory of God. And we look at that and we say, my word, what's happening? Well, if you think about what we see in the book of Revelation, listen to this out of Revelation 5. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased, listen to this, men from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, all of this is a part of God's plan. That we have a responsibility to the world rapidly changing as it is. And when the culture gets more socially diverse, we're to be more open and receptive to that culture that is changing. That means some of us have to give up some of our prejudices that we have. Because if the church is going to reach out to these people and fulfill what we want to see in heaven, then we've got to get with it. And we've got to be more culturally diverse. And we've got to remind people about the love of God through Jesus Christ, no matter who they might be. Now, the second thing I'll say is not only do we have a responsibility for our world, no matter what it looks like, <coughs> excuse me, but we also have what our world desperately needs. And let me remind you of what that is by telling an incident in the life of Mother Teresa. This was some point in her life. She was speaking to a group of people who had come from all over the world to meet with them. And a lot of them there were some other orders of, of nuns, uh, most of them from North America. And they just wanted to question her when a question time came, question answer time came, about what made her work and her habit with, with her nuns so successful. And a woman said, you know, most of the orders represented here are losing members. It seems that more and more women are leaving all the time. And your order is attracting thousands upon thousands. What do you do? Without hesitating, Mother Teresa said, I give them Jesus. And the woman said, I know. But take habits, for example. You know, do, do women object to wearing habits and the rules of the order? How do you do it? And Mother Teresa said, I give them Jesus. She said, yes, I, I know that, Mother, said the woman, but can you be more specific? And Mother Teresa said, I give them Jesus. And finally, I think the woman was exasperated. She said, Mother, we are all aware of your fine work. But she said, I want to know about something else. And Mother Teresa said, I give them Jesus. There is nothing else. You see, we're responsible for our world as salt and light. And we have the message that the world desperately needs to hear, and that's Jesus. And no matter what our culture looks like, we are called to give them Jesus. Now that leads to the second observation of perspective. And let me just run through this very, very, very quickly, okay? The biblical mandate then is to develop a practical kingdom perspective. And let me just mention three things that how you develop that. First of all, realize that where you are is your world and your mission field. Wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you shop and all of that, that's where God has placed you. That's your world. And you need to realize that God uses you where you are. That's your mission field. Secondly, remember that God is with you where he sends you. You know, sometimes you say, well, you know, I'm the only believer on my whole floor at the office. Or I'm the only believer on my shift. Or I'm the only believer in my classroom. Or I'm the only believer in the whole organization. 
Well, that might be true, but also remember that God is with you. When Jesus sent out the disciples to fulfill the great commission, he said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. No matter where you go, he's there with you. And you can claim that power and that presence when you enter your mission field. And then thirdly, you've got to realize your perspective with a kingdom attitude. What's that kingdom attitude? Well, I think it's found in one place at least in Colossians 3.17. The Apostle Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, that means whether it's at work, at school, or wherever you are, you're supposed to be salt and you're supposed to be light. And it's our attitude, perhaps, more than anything else, that's going to begin to attract people so we can let them know about Jesus. So we're called as the church, to make a difference in this culture, in this world. And Sundays can change the world if Sunday people take seriously the commission from Jesus to be salt and light. And imagine the influence that this church with Sunday people could have on our community if we all lived as salt and light. Sundays can change the world. Because Sunday people can change the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for challenging us in these times of looking at your word, about about what Sundays can do, the possibilities for them. Uh, Help us to establish a priority in our life for worship on Sunday, the day that you rose, brought back from the dead, your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us as Sunday people to understand that we're to be salt and light in this culture and have a responsibility for our world, that world that's right around us and the world that is in still the palm of your hands. So, Father, I pray today that we will accept that challenge to be salt and light to your glory and make a difference in this world for your glory, not for ours, not to do anything for us, but for your glory only and see the world change by the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we pray that in his strong and powerful name. Amen.